Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoyed listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22, and the song we just sang is one of my favorites. Uh, All I have is Christ. He's enough. We we look around here, and we're not much. (laughs) We're not much to to brag about or anything. Um, We have technical problems whenever our... uh, breaker trips or things like that. We're not much, but we have Jesus. And that is the most important thing. We may not have a lot, but we have Jesus here with us. Tonight we're looking at uh, another time when Jesus and John the Baptist had contact with one another. Um, In the Gospel of John, that happened very soon. We, We... Remember back to the very first chapter, and it says, and, and the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then you just advance another few verses, and you have, and there was a man who was sent from God, whose name was John, who came to bear witness of the light. So we saw in chapter 1, this John coming on the scene, and it tells us his job was to point to the light, to point to Jesus. And then later on in chapter 1, we see John again with Jesus and how how John was pointing at Jesus again. Pointing at Him saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the Lamb. The One who took away our sin. The One who was slaughtered for us. He was our sacrificial Lamb that made peace with God for us. And John, his mission was to declare that. To point to Jesus. Here, after Jesus had turned water into wine after he had cleansed the temple, after he had had this discussion with Nicodemus about the need to be born again, we have another contact with John. John, of course, was the forerunner, as we have said. He was the forerunner. He came before Jesus to point to Jesus. And he... He did this weird thing. We, we don't think it's weird today, but for his day, it was weird. He baptized people. That wasn't a part of Old Testament Judaism. You look through the Old Testament, you don't see anything about what we call baptism today. But John here, he was going out into the wilderness and he was baptizing people. Many people were coming, repenting, their, repenting of their sins, and they were being baptized and, and with this contact with Jesus, what we see is John's disciples are having this discussion about baptism and they come to him and they say, you know, Jesus, that one that you saw over on the other side of the river, he's baptizing more disciples than you are. 
And how does John respond? Well, the same thing that's consistent with what his mission has been so far. It's just been to point to Jesus. To say, it's all about Him. To say, it's He must increase and I must decrease, is what John says. Let's read our text. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 22. After this, Jesus and His disciples went to the Judean countryside and remained there with them and was baptizing. And John also was baptizing at Enon near Salim, because the water was plentiful there. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing all and all are going to him. John answered, a person can receive nothing, not, uh, cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and, and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He who bears witness, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the testimony, uh, utters the words of God, for he, ha he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray. Father, tonight we seek to listen to your word, and we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Lord, be with me. Weak, frail, sinful, I need your grace to preach your word. Lord, give me strength. In Jesus' name, amen. The scene. Jesus had just been having a discussion with Nicodemus about baptism, about um, being born again. And after this discussion, he goes out into the countryside. He goes out similar to the way John the Baptist was, out into the wilderness. Jesus goes out into the countryside and it says he remained there with them and was baptizing. He wasn't just passing through the, the, the countryside, but he was out there staying there and people were coming out to him and he was baptizing them. Then, 
It tells us John also was out baptizing at Enon near Salim, because the water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. It gives us a little bit of foreshadowing. Later on, we're going to see John will be thrown into prison, and eventually his head will be chopped off by Herod. But that had not yet happened. So you have Jesus in the Judean countryside baptizing. And you have John, John the Baptist, out baptizing near Salim. They're both doing the same thing. What is this that they're doing? As I said, baptism isn't something we see in the Old Testament. There are some who, who, uh, who point to some what, what's called Jewish proselyte baptism. Uh, there, there could be the idea that this kind of thing arose during the intertestamental period. Uh, but some of the research that I've seen actually says that no, it was, the, the Jewish proselyte baptism was actually copying after what John was doing. So it's really uncertain. We really don't, don't know. Uh, it seems to make sense if, if John, if this was original to John. What John was doing was baptizing. Now, what is that? We, different churches, have their different ideas about what is baptism. Well, I'm going to give a little bit of a defense for what, what I believe and what this church will confess when we do constitute as a church. We're Baptists. And... Uh, we believe that baptism is an immersion. And why do, do I say that? The word in Greek is baptizo. And when the translators were translating uh, that word, they didn't actually translate what it meant. They just said baptize. They tur turned a, a Greek word into an English one by say, taking baptizo and just making it baptize. They did what's called transliterating instead of actually translating. What does the word mean? It means to dip. It means to plunge. It means to put something under the water. That's why us Baptists are so insistent on that. <laughs> well, why can't you just sprinkle a little water? Or why can't... Well, the reason historically Baptists have been so insistent on that is because that's what the word means. And Jesus commanded, go into all the world and baptize. Make, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them whatever I have commanded you. Everything I've commanded you. If Jesus commanded us to baptize, then it wouldn't make any sense to do anything other than what He told us to do. Which the word means to dip, to plunge, to immerse. A little bit of a apologetic for, for um, baptism, as Baptists see it. Uh, John, you can also see this in what John, what we read about John. John was baptizing at Enon near Salim because water was plentiful there. He was doing it in the place where he was because there was plenty of water. If he was merely sprinkling or pouring or something else... Maybe he wouldn't have needed to go to a place where there was plenty of water. He could have just brought along some with him and sprinkled a little bit on their head. That's not conclusive, um, that's, but that is an argument that's been brought up in the past. This discussion about baptism, 
is not a new one. We see in verse 25, there was a discussion. A discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Within Judaism, I said they don't have, they did not have baptism in the Old Testament the way we see it in the New Testament. There were, but there were many different ritual washings. Washings that you, you see Jesus having conflict in the New Testament between himself and the Pharisees because you know his disciples didn't wash their hands the right way. So this Jew and John the Baptist was having this discussion about purifi- or John the Baptist's disciple. We're having a discussion about this purification. They were talking probably about washing or baptism. Now they came to John. They couldn't come to a a decision about this. They come to John and they bring it before him and, and they say, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, that's talking about Jesus, to whom you bore witness, look, He is baptizing, and all are going out to him. Did John feel threatened? What would we do? (laughs) What would many churches do? We hear about God moving and God blessing, about about, uh, an outpouring of His Spirit, and many people are responding in faith, and people are being baptized, people are being saved. And we hear those reports and, they, and we might hear and they're doing even more than you are. What might be our response? We might get to feel a little jealous. We might get to think, well, why doesn't God do that here? But that's not John's response. John says, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. John understood that God was blessing his ministry of baptism where people were coming out and repenting and, uh, and being baptized under his ministry at one time, but it's no longer that time. And all of those people that came to him, they came because God was working in their lives and God was sending them there. But now that things have changed and Jesus is on the scene, now that Jesus is baptizing people, John says... That's God's work. That's His work. He is at work there. Let's not be discouraged that He's not working with us the same way He is with them, with Him. John recognizes that all of those people that were coming and God was working in their lives, it was because God was at work there. Next, John says, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am, the, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears Him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John points back to what he'd already said before. What we see, John was just a a witness. He was just pointing forward to someone who was greater. John says he was a friend of the bridegroom. Now, what uh, Bradley read just a moment ago from Jeremiah said, you know, that um, 
There was the land was made a wasteland. People were were judged by God and how God was promising that there was one day come a day whenever people would have joy again. And they would hear the voice of the bridegroom. And in that passage in Jeremiah, it also talks about the fact that God had a promise to David that there would always be someone sitting on David's throne. I think what we see in the passage that Bradley read from Jeremiah, the bridegroom that was coming, the one that would bring joy, is that one who would be the son of David, who would sit on David's throne forever. It would be Jesus. Jesus was this descendant of David who answered God's, who fulfilled God's prophecy. What John says, we can kind of make sense of this. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom stands and hears him and rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. When you go to a wedding, who is all the attention on? The bride and the groom, right? You don't expect to go to a wedding as a guest and have everybody look at you. That would be rude. <laughs> to, to go expecting to want to draw attention to yourself. And this is what John is saying. The wedding... The bride and the bridegroom are here, and I'm just joyful to be a part of it. I'm joyful that I can point to the bridegroom, Jesus. He says, this is what makes my joy complete. He'd been out in the wilderness eating locusts and honey and baptizing people who were coming to him, repenting. And he didn't find his joy in that successful ministry, so to speak. He found his joy in the fact that Jesus was increasing and he was decreasing. That's what John says here, verse 30. He must increase, I must decrease. That's what we need to say as well. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. Going back to the idea of, of someone might be jealous of another ministry somewhere that's doing well. Wonder why isn't God blessing here the way He's blessing over there? You know, one thing that helps us get over that is when we have a kingdom mindset. We're, we're not so much worried about me and here and, and our stuff that we're trying to do. We're worried about the kingdom. Advancing Jesus' kingdom. And if that means that we are small, if that means that we take a back seat to Jesus going forward, so be it. He must increase and we must decrease. Having a kingdom mindset means our fundamental concern is not how big we get in this place, but how much known Jesus is in our community and in the world. That's a kingdom mindset. 
Verse 31, John begins to change. And there's two Johns here that I'm talking about. John the Baptist, that's who was talking. And now I think it's John the Gospel writer. He now turns and he comments on what John was saying here. Call him John, John number one and John number two. No. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness of what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. I say this is probably John commenting on what John the Baptist said because it it reminds us of what John has already said within this Gospel. We're talking about the one who came from above. The one who left heaven. In John John chapter 1, about the one who was the Word, who was with God, who was God, and who in verse 14 tells us He became flesh and dwelt among us. He is the one who came down from heaven. And He bears witness. He tells us about what He has seen and heard. How can we trust Jesus? How can we trust what He says? It's because He's been there. He is God. He was God. He was with God from the beginning. Everything was made through Him. And He stepped down out of heaven and walked among human beings. John says... One who whoever whoever belongs to earth speaks in an earthly way. But he who comes from heaven is above all. Not only does it mean we can trust what Jesus said because he was there, but it says he is above all. The one who came down from heaven is above all. I think again, that points to His deity. He is God Himself. He is above all earthly powers. He is above all things. He is God who is and who was and who is to come. Next He says, whoever receives... Hold on. He ended that by saying... Yet no one receives his testimony. What does he mean here? Well, what we saw in the last few verses in chapter 3 was how the light came into the darkness and men flee because our deeds are evil. We don't want to be exposed. When Jesus came, he was able to be trusted because He was the one who was from heaven who came down. He was the one who was above all things, and yet people did not receive His testimony. It says here, no one received His testimony. But I don't think that no one should be an absolute because the very next sentence, He turns around and said, whoever receives this testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. Which is it, John? No one receives his testimony? Or whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this? See the tension there? 
in comparison to the world, no one received Jesus when He came. He was taken to a cross. He, he claimed to be God. Whenever they asked Him who He was, He said, I am. And they crucified Him for it. They did not believe His testimony. They crucified Him. He was rejected by men. But then the next sentence we see, he says, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. People will believe. We believe. If we have trusted in Jesus, we have received his testimony. We've done something that John here said before, no one did. Because we testify that God is true. He is faithful. He keeps His promises. He has sent His Son. Verse 34, For whom God has sent utters the words of God, for He gives His Spirit without measure. What makes the difference here between the one who doesn't receive His testimony and those who do receive His testimony. It says here, He gives His Spirit without measure. His Spirit. He talked about that whenever He talked with Nicodemus. Remember? He said the Spirit blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it. Men don't know where it goes or where it's going. It's the Spirit that opens our eyes. It quickens our hearts. It makes us come alive. And we receive His testimony. He gives the Spirit without measure. There's no limits. Anyone who believes, as we saw in John 3.16, anyone who believes can receive that Spirit. And He gives it without limits. He gives it without measure. Verse 35 the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Think about that for a minute. In John 3.16, we read that God so loved the world. He loved people. He loved people so much that He gave His Son. This is telling us something different here. The Father loves the Son. And has given everything into his hand. I have a son, Josh. And I love my son. We're buds. Okay, right? I read to him every night. Well, sometimes we don't. but I read to him a lot, right? And we, I just could not imagine not having Josh in my life. Josh has now been in my life for seven years. And I love Josh. Think about this. The Father loves the Son. Think about the relationship between the Father and the Son. Think back to what John said in John 1, where he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. There was the Father and the Son together there from all eternity past, the Father loved the Son. We think of God 
God is a loving God. He is loved by His very nature. John, the same writer who wrote this Gospel, says in, John, in 1 John, God is love. How could God be love? It is connected to the fact that He is a trinity of persons. There has always been a community within God. From all eternity there has been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father loving the Son from all eternity. Now, if I love Josh... And I've had him in my life for seven years and I couldn't imagine being without him. Think of the close relationship of the father and the son who had never been separated from all eternity past. That's how much God loved his son. And he gave him all things into his hand. Jesus will... He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. One day we will all worship Him in heaven and we will, we will call Him holy. We will call Him worthy is the Lamb to receive power and honor and glory. All things have been given into Jesus' hand. The final verse here, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. We're going through this text. We're hearing about John the Baptist. We're hearing about these disciples with this question. And it, it, John closes this chapter with a point of decision. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Possesses it right now. Has it. It's present tense. It's not saying will have. We'll have the possibility. If you believe on Christ, you possess eternal life. Woo! <laughs> you need to get excited about that. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. There are many who do not believe on Christ. What does the Bible say about them? Ephesians chapter 2, I think it is, tells us that without, apart from Christ, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Before we come to know Jesus, we have been dead. Spiritually dead. We need our eyes to be open. We need to come to life. Apart from Jesus, apart from believing in the Son, it says, whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. If you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Savior, you don't know what life is. You, you won't see life until you've trusted Jesus. But the wrath of God remains on him. Apart from trusting in Jesus, God's wrath remains on us. Why? We're sinners. 
God is holy. That is the biggest problem in all of the universe. We're sinners and God is holy. He cannot stand sin. So how can we have a relationship with this God who is holy, who apart from Christ, His wrath remains on us? Jesus satisfied that wrath. Jesus satisfied it by becoming a curse for us. By becoming our sacrifice and our substitute. There's two realities. One, those who believe on Christ have eternal life. But there's a lot out there who have not yet believed on Him. They shall not see life. The wrath of God remains on them. That ought to cause us to do something. To tell. To go and tell. To take the message of the Father who sent His Son into the world so that whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. The end of this text leaves us with the question, one, have you believed on the the Son? Have you given your life to Him? Have you trusted in Him? And the second one is, if you have, consider those around you. Consider your neighbors and your friends and your family. Consider those who you know who have not yet believed in the Son. What the Bible tells us about their condition is that they shall not see life. The wrath of God remains on them. That ought to cause us to want to go and tell. To tell them, to plead with them, to turn to Jesus. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.wordpress.com or you can like us on Facebook. Facebook.